This is Travel Michigan. I'm Dave Lorenz from Pure Michigan. Spring is right around the corner, and even though it'll be different, that means it's almost tulip time in Holland. Even though there are no firm borders, did you know there's a national park that celebrates the auto industry, and it's right here in Pure Michigan? One of America's most influential film festivals returns to Ann Arbor this coming week, and... We're crossing our fingers that we'll be able to gather soon to sample what the great beer state has to offer. We travel Michigan next, where your trip begins at michigan.org. Welcome to Travel Michigan. I'm Dave Lorenz from Pure Michigan, and it's good to be back with you again today. You know, here we go. You know, before you know it, spring's going to be here. And you know how much I love winter. I've really enjoyed this winter. We had a lot of good snow, and I've enjoyed being out there and doing skiing and all that. But, hey, we're starting to make that transition now, and spring is right around the corner. So I hope you can stick around for the entire show today as we talk to some of our guests who are going to tell you what you can plan for this upcoming spring and warm weather season. And to kick it off, let's bring in Linda Hart. She is the executive director of the Holland area CBB. And Linda, I have to tell you um, that first off, welcome to the program. But I have to just say that when I think of spring, I always think of Holland because of tulip time. So I'm looking forward to uh, checking out Holland uh, before you know it in a little bit warmer weather. No, absolutely. And, and thanks, Dave. Um, it's great to be here. Yes, um, tulips in Holland. I, I just think, you know, we are so known for that. I mean, across the country and um, literally across the world. So yes, we are certainly looking forward to um, to tulip time and, and spring in, in Holland. Well, one of the things, if you've never been to Holland, that you need to understand, and you get it by the name, they celebrate their Dutch culture. And actually, I really love that, that communities uh, around the state, like Frankenmuth in Holland, for instance, um, really celebrate the uh, the cultures of the Europeans who came here, settled in, in these areas, and then kind of made those communities, um, you know, you know, a little bit about what they were like back in the old country. In in this case, in Holland, you've kept that atmosphere alive in so many ways, not just during tulip time. No, absolutely. You know, it's interesting. Ninety two years we've been celebrating tulips in Holland uh, from nineteen twenty seven. Uh, with a biology teacher who came up with this idea. But really, I mean, you know, the, the idea was to celebrate the heritage, celebrate the tulip, and, and what Holland stands for. So, you know, remarkably, uh, we've carried that through um, all this period of time. So it's, it's extremely important to us. Uh, so, yes. Let, let's talk a little bit about tulip time because obviously it's going to be different this year. Last year's because of COVID was was virtually you know completely canceled. Really, um, this coming year uh, is going to be a little bit different again because you know we're still dealing with COVID. Even you know in May when tulip time comes around, we know we're still going to be dealing with the need to socially distance and wear masks and we're even outdoors in public places and keeping our hands clean. All those things, uh, but. But um, the good news is there will be some things um, to visit Holland for during tulip time. Why don't we talk about that a little bit? Sure. You know, and, and it's and you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, we 
We skipped it last year. The tulips still bloomed. Uh, it was great for the locals, but uh, for 2021, it was certainly something that we, we want to be able to see and welcome visitors back. And you're right, planning has been a challenge. Uh, what we can offer visitors within the health and safety guidelines. Um, you know, we can't move our festival like many people can to the fall. The tulips are still going to bloom. Um, so, you know, a lot of our traditional events aren't taking place due to the restrictions, um, the carnival, a lot of our dinner shows, the parades. Uh, you know, we've, we've made some adjustments. Uh, we are planning what we can. Uh, so, you know, we're still welcoming the visitors. All the tulips are planted, 5 million, uh, 5 million of them in our public parks and in our Dutch attractions. So certainly, you know, people, there will still, there still will be plenty to see and do and experience, um, which is really what's most important for visitors. So how would you recommend people uh, plan to see the tulips? Because as you mentioned, I mean, they're still everywhere. And there are certain places where you can find, you know, great stands of tulips. Um, so, so how and where should people, um, you know, look forward to seeing those tulips? Oh, well, I mean, you can certainly go to, you know, as far as planning, certainly check out our website, holland.org. Um, you can certainly check out Tulip Time's website, uh, tuliptime.org. Uh, but the, you know, we have uh, a tulip farm, which is Valdir Tulip Farm, Windmill Island Gardens, uh, in addition to the, to the Deswand Windmill. Uh, both of those are paid attractions. But downtown uh, in, and in the adjacent public parks, and then are, are a lot of tulip plantings, but then there's also uh, six miles of tulip lanes throughout our neighborhoods. We are putting together a tulip brochure. So not only talks about the tulips and the plantings and the history of tulips, but it's also gonna give you an idea of where the tulips are planted throughout the community and how to navigate through the community to see the tulips. That's great. Uh, and I do have to mention, I know we're going to run out of time here before you know it, but um, Holland is known for Wizard of Oz. You know, Frank Baum kind of spent his summers there and, and kind of I kind of came up with the idea for Wizard of Oz there. So you have these really cool statues. It's, it's at the, the library, right? That is. At the library, um, the statues are, are big, giant life-size statues, and we do plant tulips around them as well. Yeah. Yep, and then Kitty Quarter across the street is the Living Mosaic book. The book does not come out until um, mid-May to late May. You know, with uh, since it's a it's a it's called a Living Mosaic culture. So think about a topiary. So it's all living annuals, and we don't want to run the risk of frost. So that book comes out uh, usually after the fifteenth. That's usually a good guideline for our parks department to put that book back out on display. Yeah, it's it's really cool. It's in uh, it's Central Park, right? Centennial Park. But Centennial close. Park, yeah. Centennial yeah, Park. It, it's kind of like a wall of flowers. And then, as you mentioned, uh, you know, Caddy Corner is, you know, at the library, these really beautiful bronze statues. You, you've all done such a great job. Well, let's just put it this way Holland is a great town to visit anytime uh, if you just want to stroll the streets, maybe do a little shopping. Uh, dining uh, now that um, you know the restaurants are opening up to a greater capacity uh, check it out for more information go to the website holland.org and above all if you're planning to go there the spring or summer especially during tulip time get your hotel booked right now i'm just telling you holland.org and our thanks to linda hart for being with us today from holland we head to the motor city's national heritage area next here on travel michigan where your trip begins at michigan.org
It's Travel Michigan. I'm Dave Lorenz from Pure Michigan. If you ever go to the areas that basically uh, kind of border Detroit to Flint to Lansing to Kalamazoo, uh, then did you know you're in a national park? You know, basically that's true. You're in the area that is known as the Motor Cities National Heritage Area, and it's a national heritage area. It's you know it's part of the national park system, and something that I think we should be very proud of here in Michigan, because if anybody should be able to celebrate automotive heritage, it should be the people of Michigan. So let's find out about this really cool place by bringing in Sean Palmaville Size. Sean is the executive director of the Motor Cities National Heritage Area. Sean, it's good to have you on the program. Dave, great to be here. So isn't it kind of funny? Uh, you, you talk to people all the time and you say, okay, you know, we're from the Motor Cities National Heritage Area. And uh, there are still a lot of people who say, well, what's that? And so, so how do you explain that to them? Well, we like to emphasize the word area. So it's actually a place on a map. And in our case, like you said, it's in Southeast and Central Michigan. And it's it's got actual borders. It's a national heritage area because we tell a story of national importance in that region. And that is how we put the world on wheels, how this area is the cradle for automotive. And so it's designated by Congress. That's what makes it national. It has actual boundaries on file in the Department of Interior. We don't own land, but it's marked off you can see now where it exists by some of those great brown signs with a white trim and it has the National Park Service logo and it says entering the Motor City's National Heritage Area. So while it's a place, the purpose of marking it off and, and for being associated with the National Park Service is so that we can preserve this story, the cultural story, the, uh, the uh, natural resources, the human story of labor. We're the largest collection of museums and archives and factories and car events. And it's all to preserve and give pride to this American story of how our tinkerers became Titans, how auto and labor helped build the middle class and helped transform manufacturing truly worldwide, not just here. So we use this story to promote the area both culturally and economically. Yeah, and it really is. You know, to your point, it's a story of innovation, really, uh, because, you know, at one point, because uh, I've, I've read up so much about this stuff. You know, there were automakers all over the country, all over the world, really. And for some reason, this area, this southeast Michigan area and some of the surrounding areas became really the center of automobile manufacturing and design and engineering. And, and, and of course, it could still be argued it's still that today. So it's, it's quite a story. It really is. And a lot of that uh, had to do with um, coming together for efficiencies in the economy. So engineers and designers, etc., came to this area because it was already starting to build up. It had the labor. It had the river on the Detroit River. It had the Great Lakes to, for shipping of components and parts, etc. So it just sort of evolved naturally. And that's the case in many national heritage areas. Um, there's 55 of us in the country and they all tell a different story. So, for example, Pittsburgh tells the story of steel. Yeah, it makes sense. And, you know, when every region has something to be proud of, some region, some reason why, you know, they are very particularly and specifically important to the American story. And, of course, in our case, it's all about automotive and, and, and of course, 
everybody understands that. So when you go to the area to experience this story, what are some of the places that that people might want to go to to have an idea of why this all happened here? Well, yeah, that's that's a great question. And with it spring coming up and, and people eager to get outdoors and look at things again, um, there's all of our attraction partners are at least partially open and have been since the, the um, summer, I believe. And they just keep getting more and more open. They're following the protocols and the, some of the restrictions are being lifted. So they can, we consider the Gilmore Car Museum, which is in Hickory Corners, near Kalamazoo to be the western entrance to the Motor City's National Heritage Area. And you, there's everything in between from the um, Lansing, the Arioles Museum, Flint has the Alfred Sloan Museum, there's Meadowbrook Hall in Rochester, there's the Ford House and the Edsel and Eleanor Ford House, the Henry Ford, etc. the Ford Paquette plant in Detroit. So we've created a passport guide that you can get on our website, which is at motorcities.org. You can download the passport or you can write to us and we'll send you one in the mail. And each place you go, you can get a passport stamp. And there are over 30 such attractions in that book. So we know people are going to be traveling mostly by car this summer on, on their vacations if they're able to go. And you don't have to travel far to see some great stuff in our own backyard. Isn't that the truth? And you, you just mentioned some of my favorite places in the state. And, you know, I, you know, literally the favorite travel destination or attraction in the state is the Henry Ford, the museum, Greenfield Village, you know, the Rouge Factory Tour, which I don't think is happening right now because of COVID and, and all that. But spectacular, you know, things to learn about, to be proud about as you visit these places. And of course, a lot of these things are from the past, but the, the truth is Motor Cities also celebrates and features things happening today and, and what will happen in the future, right? Yes, yes, exactly. So we're, we get the privilege of promoting a living heritage. So not only how we became the auto capital of the world, but what is going now on now in automotive. And it's making its huge pivots to electric and a number of those things. So it's, it's all encompassing and it's kind of a, a, a real unique place to live and to visit because of all of that. That's true. Of course, you know, we're real proud of this. And mostly when you think of automotive, you think of men. But the fact is women played and still do play an important role in the story of automotive and, of course, how automotive fit into the American story. And during, uh, you know, National Women's Month, I'm sure there are special exhibits here and there um, in the Motor City's National Heritage Area. Well, yes, there's exhibits and there's also a lot going on online as is typical these days. So the Motor City's National Heritage Area is dedicated to telling all of the auto stories, uh, some of those untold auto stories. So we're reaching out to make sure our history is told in completion, that it's diverse, that it's equitable, that it's inclusive. And yes, like you say, this is National Women's Month. So even just today, our newsletter, which is called You Oughta Know, 
A U T O, you ought to know, um, is all about female car designers and the pioneers in uh, in the industry in design. So that's really exciting information. You can get it for free. Your listeners just go to MotorCities.org, and they'll find on there where they can sign up uh, for the newsletter. And we'll re- we'll be featuring like women. Uh, who mechanics, for example, only 2.1% of the mechanics in the United States are women. So there's a lot of room for growth in that area. And we'll talk about women race car drivers and inventors, the the damsels of design, and of course, the Rosie the Riveter story. Oh, yeah. Yeah, of course. Mm -hmm. Hey, we only have about a minute left, Sean, uh, but uh, I'm a member of Motor City's National Heritage Area, and I'm I'm really happy to to do that. How can other people become members uh, and and support the association they go to motorcities.org and they look for support us and memberships start at twenty dollars for seniors and students thirty dollars for an individual Uh, we're here to serve the public but this is our common ground so we need everybody to join in and and help preserve this great history and help uh, give that sense of pride that is that belongs to us saying, yeah, we're from Michigan, and this is the car capital of the world. Absolutely, I, you know, I just love everything about Motor City's National Heritage Area. You and the staff do such a great job to keep this uh, top of mind for all of us because it really is something that Michiganders should be very proud of, and frankly. All Americans should be proud of this specific National Heritage Area and all of them around the country. So learn more by going to MotorCities.org, MotorCities.org. And our thanks to Sean Palmaville-Size for being with us today. We continue with Travel Michigan next, right here on Travel Michigan, where your trip begins at Michigan.org. It's Travel Michigan. I'm Dave Lorenz from Pure Michigan. And here we are at that time of the year where it seems like we're in that transition again. You know, it's not really winter. It's not really spring, but we're transitioning back and forth and doing our best to figure things out. So here's the thing. You know, there are so many really cool events you can do that are um, either indoors or kind of indoors and outdoors. And then there are still all these things that are still available out there virtually. Eventually, we want to get back to our normal schedule of going to real events. But for the time being, you know, let's just do our best to uh, keep those Pure Michigan protocols going, keeping everybody safe as we travel around the beautiful state of Michigan. And we're going to feature in uh, Ann Arbor next, specifically the Ann Arbor Film Festival, uh, one of the oldest of its type in the country and actually it was one of the first to go virtual last year it will be virtual again this year so let's learn more about it by bringing in leslie raymond leslie is the executive director of the ann arbor film festival leslie it's good to have you on the program today so great to be here dave thank you for having me well let's learn a little about about you first um, and then let's learn about the festival itself how'd you get involved in you know the whole film genre the film world how did that all start well as a young person I was into art and really photography and um, I ended up going to art school and a friend of mine suggested I check out film because they knew I was interested in 
making interesting sound art and taking photographs. And I just checked it out and fell in love with really the way that projected film looks, you know, with the celluloid and the light going through it and on the screen. There's just something so beautiful about it. And I just I just kind of fell in love with the medium. And then um, over the years, just continued um, trying different things out. You know, I think my first film I made was a Super 8 with a, a, a soundtrack on a cassette tape, a little portrait of somebody I knew. And um, over the years, I just kept working in moving image and it actually kind of evolved to not just a sit down film that you might watch like in a theater type setting, but also in the, it towards more fine arts where you would have a projection in uh, like an installation with other objects or things like that. Isn't that cool? Uh, when I went to school so many years ago, I, I actually took a film class and made a film with a, a partner, uh, you know, we were all paired up and I did the audio part. He did the, the, the film part. And here I am doing radio. Here you are doing film uh, festival work. So you never know what might lead to to what in the future. So Ann Arbor right. Film Festival uh, really is quite a prestigious festival and, and pretty unique. Why don't you tell us about the history? Sure, I'd love to. So we'll be 59 officially this March, end of, end of the month here coming up. And um, we were started in 1963 in Ann Arbor by a man named George Manupelli, who was a, he was a painter, a collage artist, and he also made films. And he was teaching at University of Michigan in what was then the art department. Um, he had uh, students who were interested in making film and he was showing them how to do that. And Ann Arbor in 1963 is, as you may know, was quite a hotbed of countercultural activity and creativity. Um, students for a democratic society started here at the University of Michigan around that time. Um, there was in the arts, there was a lot of collaboration going on between different different disciplines. And there was a, a group called Once who, uh, when you think about art history, I think you can look at them as having a lot of similarities with the Fluxus movement and happenings who were very interested in sort of art as a part of everyday life and collaborating with um, different types of art making, um, making interesting things happen just for the sake of it in the moment to have a uh, bring you out of your everyday reality into an aesthetic experience. And so they would do these these events and happenings where, you know, architects would be building building components to the event and there would be um, authentic movement, sort of, they didn't call themselves dancers, but you might look and think they are dancing. Uh, there was a big avant-garde jazz uh, scene going on here and George would project, um, project film onto these things. And so there's this really rich uh, environment. And then when you look outside of Ann Arbor, it was a heyday for experimental film. And there was a big scene happening in New York and in San Francisco and different parts of the world. And uh, George wanted to bring some of that right here to Ann Arbor. And 
he started the Ann Arbor Film Festival, and here we are so many years later. Yeah, isn't that cool? Well, that's the thing that really makes your festival unique is that you really feature kind of the experimental avant-garde type film. Nothing wrong with the uh, film festivals that, that have the really popular, you know, films from the past or whatever. Uh, but, but yours is really unique. Uh, one of the first in the country to do this, and I know uh, the readers of USA Today have uh, voted this festival is the best in the country a couple of times. Uh, so it, it, it certainly is starting to become well-known, at least especially for this kind of niche uh, specialty film. So why don't you tell us what type of films, give us any examples that you might want to uh, mention uh, that people can look forward to. And then we, we need to really explain how they can take advantage of the film festival virtually after that. Sure, sure. Yeah, that's a um, really important to point out that we are an experimental and avant-garde film festival. We're quite different than the majority of film festivals out there who, you know, show what we're more used to seeing. You know, we grew up watching uh, film and television and now the internet, and there's a certain kind of thing that we're used to seeing when we go to the movie theater. Well, that's not what you're going to see when you come to our festival. And I encourage people to think of it more as an experience you might have when you go to an art museum, that each film is really kind of like that. I'm going into the museum and here's a sculpture. I'm going to look at it. And a lot of our films really require you to kind of look at it and notice what you're thinking and, you know, having your own inner dialogue with, with the, with the artwork, not everyone, but you know, the types of the uh, films that we have are usually made by individual artists. They oftentimes explore the medium itself. So they find different ways to well, let's go back to just like that celluloid film, that physical film, which is kind of where we came from as a festival. Besides shooting it in a camera and getting an image on it and editing it, you can actually just take the strip of film and take a Sharpie and write all over it or scratch into it if it's like black leader and put that in the projector and see what happens. So yeah. that's what I mean when I'm saying like you can play with the, the properties of the medium. Well, certainly is um, experimental yeah. by, by trying something like that. Well, <laughs> and, and I would guess that, you know, this, you know, today, um, yes, you have film, but I would bet you also have video and you have maybe, you know, recordings done by by, you know, something as simple as an iPhone. I mean, is all is it all that part of the, fel- yes. the festival? It is. It's all of that. And really interesting this year, people often ask, what's new about the festival this year? And oftentimes I'm like, it's just, <laughs> we're just seeing great work. I don't know. But yeah. this year, one thing I can say is that there is this very strong thread, and I'm calling it mixed media. And, you know, when we think mixed media, you often think of like a collage with paint and pastel and things pasted in there. But when I'm thinking mixed media with the film festival this year, people are not only using video and digital, but yes, like you said, iPhone. And even people are are excited to go back and use VHS and mini DV, those old formats of video. And then still lots of film. I've seen so much film this year. Um, and a lot of people will shoot on film and digitize it and work that into the piece. So um, it's it's really interesting. I'm not sure why that is in particular this year. Maybe because people are have more limited resources and are mining their own personal archives, looking at past projects that maybe they want to finish or find find things that they that they shot and never did anything with. I'm not sure. That's pretty neat. So uh, to experience the Ann Arbor Film Festival, first off, let me mention the website. We'll mention this again. It's aafilmfest.org, aafilmfest.org. I I would assume people get there, uh, and this is where they register and take advantage of the film festival? 
Exactly, exactly. So the you can find online tickets and passes. You can find the full schedule online. Uh, the way that the festival is is going to work this year is um, a pass will get you access to see ev- everything. There are, I don't know, about 40 different programs you can view over the six-day period of the festival, March 23rd to the 28th. And then individual tickets are for individual programs that you can you can view Uh, passes are on a sliding scale uh you can get one for 50 75 or 150 and the the more you pay it's really more like the more you support the festival yeah yeah which is important yeah 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 we're throwing like you know a discount in the in the ann arbor film festival online store or store credit you know the higher up you go um and then tickets we really wanted to make it accessible so the suggested price for a ticket is twelve dollars which is what you would pay in the theater but it's a sliding scale so you can go as low as two dollars very which good is what it costs us to get on the platform yeah, so that website again is aafilmfest.org and our thanks to leslie raymond executive director of the ann arbor film festival can't wait with streaming services and everything it seems like uh, an opportunity to see everything on the big screen it'll be just like you're there i'll yeah, learn so more cool by going to you'll... yeah aafilmfest.org we'll be right back on travel michigan where your trip begins at michigan.org It's Travel Michigan. I'm Dave Lorenz from Pure Michigan. We're all getting ready to uh, celebrate in every way we can as soon as we can because aren't we just you know so tired of not being able to get together as much as we'd like? Well, soon we are going to be able to get together uh, sooner than I think many people think. You know, the vaccines are getting out there and people are uh, taking the safety protocol seriously, and so that's a good thing. Before you know it, we will be gathering, and there's one thing we're going to all want to do. We're going to want to celebrate defeating this virus with a cold glass of Michigan brewed crafted beer. And to tell us how we can do that, let's bring in Scott Graham. He is the executive director of the Michigan Brewers Guild. Scott, isn't that true? Uh, Before you know it, um, I don't think there's anything that people will want to toast more so than getting by this this darn virus. Yeah, Dave, thanks for having me on and yeah there are so many people out there in our community that are are really looking forward to to being in a more normal together situation for a beer whether that's meeting a group of friends at your local brewery or attending one of our popular beer festivals throughout the year you know i've i've been thinking you know you all have done such a great job to educate people within Michigan and in the Midwest, at least, if not the country, to educate them of the fact that we have some of the best craft beer locations in the state. We have all these great restaurants and pubs and such serving Michigan craft beer. And after this year of pause, of not being able to get out to places we've wanted to, I wonder if we need to re-educate people all over again, or maybe they've just, you know, kind of stored it in their memory banks and they can't wait to get out there but um, i know that a lot of people are looking forward to um, you know going to a, a pub to enjoy it or as you say to go to one of your big events now you had to um I, I don't know if you postponed or if you went virtual last year i don't recall you know what's the plan for your big craft beer events for this year or at least what's the plan as of today 
Well, we have a schedule now of five different beer festivals around the state throughout the year, and we've now cycled um, a, a full cancellation of every one of those events. Um, going, you know, having a beer virtually is not much fun when you when you can't have the beer virtually. Yeah. Um, so we haven't really done that, and postponing's not much of an option. But we we have cycled a full year, and I'm hopeful that in 2021 uh, at some point hopefully sooner than later but that at some point we can return to doing um, our beer festivals which are so popular and i know so many people are looking forward to to getting back to that even if uh, they have to look a little bit different or maybe be a little less populated i'm i'm hopeful that at some point this year we can do that i don't know exactly when that is but um we've kind of taking a, a wait and see posture with with each event and and waiting as long as we can um prior to cancellation to see if if what the situation might be changing like or how it might be evolving of course the events are they're they're fairly complicated and it takes some upfront planning so oh, yeah. we can't we can't decide on march 1st that we're going to do an event on march 25th yeah. and make it happen it takes right. uh it takes some time so there we, we do have some lead time but um we we sure don't want to be canceling these things but we don't want to be doing something um that doesn't feel proper or yeah. safe either. Yeah. Well, what what generally happens at uh, these big craft beer events? You know, what types of things go on? Um, and of course, there's always the the you know the sampling. Uh, what else happens? Well, I, we've worked um, pretty diligently over the years to keep our festivals primarily focused on our member breweries in their beer. So we we have not created uh, any fair-like atmosphere where there are a lot of other vendors. We like to have some local entertainment. Um, we like to have some local food vendors. But really, we want it to be about breweries and, and their beer. And you know, at some of our events, we have well over 100 Michigan breweries and over 1,000 different beers, so nobody can try them all. Mm-hmm. And that's, a, that's pretty good entertainment, even sipping a, an ounce or two at a time from different breweries. No, nobody can hope or plan to try yeah. them all. Yeah. Well, very good. Well, let's just cross our fingers that you're going to be able to hold some of those events this year. I know they're so very popular, and and it would be nice if people who have never been to them before can can head to some of them this coming year. So we'll we'll cross our fingers. Now, one of the things you're doing uh, this coming year, I know you're planning to do some some golf events with the craft beer folks. That's that's open to the public as a fundraiser. Tell us a little little bit about that. Well, our, our the annual beer festivals are, while they're first and foremost um, showcase events to promote the breweries and their beer, they there are also very important fundraisers for our nonprofit organization. Um, and so, you know, much like many of our member businesses and other businesses across the state, it's been a, a real challenging year. And we thought we'd try a couple different things um, in this coming year in 2021, including these golf outings, which are not intended to be beer festival in a golf outing, but more what you would think of as a traditional fundraiser to help us raise some operating revenue and also it's a it'll be a fun way for folks to get together and see each other um in a in a smaller and more controlled outdoor sort of spaced way so um right now we have on our calendar three different golf outings we're calling them uh, great beer state golf outings Hmm. one is scheduled for june 9th uh, in rockford that would be at uh, north kent golf course 
Our second one is scheduled for August 11th, which will be at Forest Acres Golf Course in the Lansing area. And then um, we're hoping to maybe uh, by the time we get a little experience under our belt in October, uh, October 9th, we have one scheduled at Treetops Resort in Gaylord, and that one's on a Saturday. And we think we might be able to kind of build around that a little bit and maybe make it a, a great excuse for somebody to spend the weekend at Treetops and, and do more than just um, the Saturday golf outing. Well, it sounds like fun. Um, and anytime you get together with the great beer state folks, it is fun. Speaking of the great beer state, um, you've started a podcast, haven't you? We did. So one of the things uh, in the spring when we were watching um, all the breweries, tasting rooms be shut down and and really feeling for everybody's business, we talked about ways that we might be able to kind of promote the whole industry and everybody's business. And we've had this project that we worked on a couple years ago um, where we really wanted to tell the story of the Brewers Guild, um, mostly for our brewery members. And what I thought might be a pamphlet or a brochure going through that turned into a little over a hundred page book uh, called uh, A Rising Tide. And it tells stories um, from a series of interviews that were conducted. And after doing more than 30 interviews, we had this material um, in great stories, these lengthy interviews with different characters from the brewing industry. And there, there was so much more there to work with that we hmm. had been talking about how to maybe share that. And we actually kicked it off uh, last year. And we've got, uh, last year we recorded a little over 30 episodes. And, um, you know, we're back, we're continuing this year. So they're really fantastic stories. And one of the things that I find delightful is that e even if you know the person in the brewery pretty well, uh, listening to them tell their story yeah. is there are always things that I, I say, I, I just didn't know that. Um, so we have a collection of these um, interviews that were done a few years ago, and we're also adding interviews that are being done here and now, and we've kind of been able to document some of where we are with this whole COVID experience, which I think will be really great material for people to look back at um, in a few years as well. And they're, they're just great stories. I love hearing people's stories about how they got into something that they're really passionate about or what they do for a living now, and I'm sure that's going to be fun to look forward to. Look for the uh, Great Beer State podcast, and for more information, go to the website. It is mibeer.com. And our thanks to Scott Graham, the executive director of the Michigan Brewers Guild, for being with us today. I can't believe it, because I'd like to learn more about Scott and what they're doing there, but we've run out of time. So we'll talk to you next week right here on Travel Michigan, where your trip begins at michigan.org.